0: You know, since 1920s, all fossils been found from Mongolia left the country, uh, either for research or illegally stolen out.
1: Belor Minjin is a Mongolian paleontologist. Eight years ago, she saw something on TV that really made her mad.
0: I saw local news in New York sitting in a coffee shop and showing this dinosaur, Um, but they turned off the volume. I couldn't tell. You know, I I just assumed, oh, maybe that's another new species of dinosaur, but then it looked Mongolian. Uh, So then I went home, and I searched on Google. Then I found the image, and then that led me to uh, Auction House's website.
1: The auction house that was selling the dinosaur. It was a 24 foot skeleton of a Tarbosaurus batar, a toothy monster similar to T Rex that's only ever been found in Mongolia. It shouldn't have been for sale.
0: Then find out about this dinosaur and going to be auctioned in three days for almost a million dollars. So it was. Wait a minute.
1: Uh, it was going to be auctioned for a million dollars?
0: Yes. So I quickly wrote an email to Mongolia. We have to stop this auction.
1: And the Mongolian government replied. The office of the president issued a press release protesting the auction and asked the to do whatever she could to stop it. At first, she tried contacting the auction house. But a lawyer there replied saying the auction would go forward.
0: So I quickly wrote, emailed back to president's office said, OK, we need a lawyer. I can't, you know, stop this.
1: So the president of Mongolia reached out to a lawyer that he'd met at a conference in the United States, a guy named Robert Painter, who specializes in medical malpractice in Texas. Robert had helped the president as an advisor, but he'd never gone to court for Mongolia before. First time it
2: was on my radar that there was even such a thing as a dinosaur auction let alone one with questionable uh, provenance, let alone one where I was being asked to, you know, to do something legally to stop it.
1: But he was just as prepared as anyone. As far as Robert could tell, a dinosaur fossil had never been legally returned to another country from the United States. And he was about to file a lawsuit that would change that. I'm Peter Gwynn, and you're listening to Overheard at National Geographic a show where we eavesdrop on the wild conversations we have here at Geo, and follow them to the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. This week, the first victory in the struggle to repatriate stolen fossils. More after this.
0: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
1: It was a Friday night when Texas lawyer Robert Painter got an email from the office of the president of Mongolia. Could he do anything to stop the auction of a dinosaur skeleton in New York? The auction was just 2 days away.
2: The first thing I thought was because it was a little after 6 p.m. is I thought, "Boy, it would have been really nice to hear about this like couple hours ago when the courts were still open. You know, from a lawyer's perspective, it's like, well, I need to get a judge, and where am I going to find a judge, you know, after 6 o'clock on a Friday?
1: Even though the auction was happening in New York City, it just so happened that the auction house was headquartered in Dallas. This is key because Robert has a license to practice law in Texas, but Robert lives in Houston, and he needed a Dallas judge to sign a temporary restraining order. So he asked a friend in Dallas to help him find a judge. He called
2: and said, Hey, Judge, uh, I want to let you know my buddy from law school has a dinosaur auction, and the president of Mongolia wants it stopped, and we need a TRO hearing, restraining order hearing, and Judge Cortez hung up the phone. So when Kirk called him back, he said, Judge, did you hang up? He said, Quit pranking me. It's Friday night. And and he said, No, no, Judge, this is real. And uh, so... He said, oh, oh, okay. Uh, Well, yeah, have him come by at 10 or 11, or I, I forget what time. And so he called me back, and we're all good to go.
1: There was a lot to do before Robert could meet with the judge. For one thing, the relevant laws needed to be translated from Mongolian to English. In the U.S. legal system,
2: you need evidence that's notarized. And, you know, it was already a Saturday in Mongolia, and I was talking to the president's chief of staff, and I said, we need this notarized. And he said, well, we don't really do that. And I said, okay, well, uh, can you, what can we do to make this official? And uh, we decided just, I said, just grab some seals. Get the seal of state or the president's seal. Start putting these seals on it to show this is official. This is legitimate.
1: Notarized or not, these Mongolian laws had been on the books for almost a hundred years. It turns
2: out that since Mongolia has been a free country in the early, you know, in the early 20th century, that they've had these laws that defined dinosaur fossils, among other things, as property of the government.
1: Although it had never been used in the U.S. before, the Mongolian Dinosaur Law was created in part because of the actions of another American. I mean, this is not the first
3: Mongolian dinosaur uh, that's ever been auctioned off in the United States. These kinds of transactions had happened before. Michael
1: Greshko is a writer on our science desk who covers dinosaurs.
3: Mongolia is not a good place to find dinosaur bone. Mongolia is a great place to find dinosaur bone. Anybody who's watched Jurassic Park uh, knows the name Velociraptor. Velociraptor is Mongolian. Protoceratops is Mongolian. And then there's also Tyrannosaurids, this family of predatory dinosaurs. Like tyrannosaurs, Like Tyrannosaurus, yeah. Not T. rex. T. rex is North American, but very close cousins, including Tyrannosaurus
1: bataar, also known as Tarbosaurus bataar. That's the type of dinosaur that was for sale at the auction house. These bones come from the Gobi Desert. The Gobi is twice the size of Texas. So it isn't too surprising that paleontologists didn't know the dinosaurs were there until about a century ago. Who was the first place to sort of, like, show up there and go, wait a minute, this place is filled with dinosaurs,
3: Right. So, um, in large part, we have to thank uh, an American explorer, Roy Chapman Andrews.
1: Roy Chapman Andrews was a real Indiana Jones type. In fact, some people say Harrison Ford's character was based on him.
3: He's best known for a series of expeditions that he uh, directed in Mongolia that are known as the Central Asiatic Expeditions. And
1: on these expeditions, Andrews found a lot of fossils, including the first dinosaur eggs. At the time, scientists were dying to know if dinosaurs laid eggs, and Andrews found entire nests of them. Some even contained visible embryos. Those eggs made a huge
3: global splash when they were first announced in the early 1920s and made Andrews about as big
1: as a celebrity as you could be at the time. Andrews knew there were more discoveries to be made in Central Asia, and he wanted to return. But to get back to the Gobi Desert, he needed to raise millions of dollars. So he came up with an idea. So one of the things he did was he
3: took one of the 25 to 30 dinosaur eggs that they had collected
1: and had an idea to auction it off. And so... The first Mongolian dinosaur fossil was auctioned off in the United States.
3: The winning bid of $5,000 was from a guy named Austin Colgate, who was a vice president of the Colgate Company. He then turned around and donated that egg to Colgate University, and it's there
1: to this day. But the auction backfired. To the Mongolian government, Andrew's trips seemed like they were more focused on profit than discovery.
3: He himself, you know, kind of rude the day he came up with this. He wrote that, quote, I was very pleased, but it proved to be a boomerang. Nothing else so disastrous ever happened to the expedition. Up to this time, the Chinese and Mongols had taken us at face value. Now they thought we were making money out of our explorations. We had found about 30 eggs. If one was worth $5,000, the whole lot must be valued at 150000 The second that you put a dollar price on a fossil the second you create all sorts of perverse incentives around the science. Um, And that push and pull has been with paleontology
1: ever since. The egg was auctioned off in 1924.
3: Later that year, Mongolia uh, becomes the second communist country. There's a revolution in Mongolia, and they put together a new constitution. And that constitution specifies that Mongolia's Fossils, its paleontological heritage, belong to the people of Mongolia. And from that time to now, it has been illegal to
1: export Mongolian fossils from Mongolia. And now, almost a century later, those laws were about to be tested for the first time in the United States. After getting them translated, lawyer Robert Painter asked the judge to intervene, the day before the auction.
2: And by 10 or 11 a.m., I'm sitting in the judge's kitchen with him going over the petition and the evidence that we put together overnight, including having everything translated from Mongolia. And, you know, fortunately, uh, the judge found that to be persuasive,
1: and he granted our TRO. TRO, a temporary restraining order to stop the auction while the courts decided what to do. Robert sent copies to the auction house in every way he could think of.
2: So I I find uh, all their emails and fax numbers and send them a copy of the restraining order. And then I thought, you know, I need to babysit this. So I got a colleague in my office who does uh, video work and things, and we hopped on a flight, went straight to New York. Then the next morning, met with some Mongolian uh, folks and then headed straight over to the auction that morning, Sunday morning.
1: The dinosaur wasn't the only thing for sale that day. There were gemstones and elephant tusks, ancient insects suspended in amber, even the skull of another Mongolian dinosaur. But Robert was there to stop the sale of the biggest item up for auction.
2: They had the whole Tyrannosaurus Batar skeleton fully assembled, and he was kind of towering over the whole auction watching.
1: And then one of Robert's colleagues overheard some staff talking about the restraining order.
2: So we overheard a call. This, uh, this guy was speaking to someone and said, yeah, we're going to go forward with the auction despite the order.
1: Ever hear the phrase, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission?
2: The thinking is that if someone bought it and didn't know that the ownership was disputed, then they could be a good faith buyer. And uh, there could be maybe some legal argument that they shouldn't have to give it up because they bought and paid for it and didn't know about the dispute. So that's what
1: we wanted to avoid. He had to do something to stop the auction, but he wasn't quite sure what. And then the bidding started.
2: So I'm seated there, and I told my colleague from Houston, I want you to have your video camera ready and and mic and everything because I want to capture this on video.
1: This is the source
2: As the auction begins, I get my phone, redial the judge real quick, say judge, I'm at the auction, and they are now proceeding to auction. Can you talk to them and explain that this violates your order? He said, sure. So I stand up. seventy five. I'm sorry, I need to interrupt this. I'm this auction have The judge, no and have the the phone with the judge in it in in my right hand, and I say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, I have the judge from uh, such and such court on the phone and he wants to explain how this auction is violating a temporary restraining order. So the guy on the stage with the phone starts running toward me. He comes toward me and he's kind of worked up And he he says you know we need to go to the back go to the back so we do meanwhile the auctioneer just keeps going on like nothing's happening so the guy on the phone bids and sold that's how it goes
1: but the bidder didn't collect the bones there was still a temporary restraining order and robert was moving forward with the mongolian president's lawsuit against the auction house but the next day a federal prosecutor from the Southern District of New York called. Her office wanted to take over the effort to recover the fossil. So Robert dropped the Texas case, and a new federal lawsuit took its place. United States
2: versus one Tyrannosaurus Batar. So the, the United States is actually filing a lawsuit where a party to the lawsuit is a fossilized dinosaur. And that's not all. So we actually flew back up to New York and watched them go and arrest the FBI arrested the dinosaur and took him into custody.
1: The skeleton stayed in federal custody until it finally got its day in court several months later. With a team of other paleontologists, Bilar Minjin had inspected the fossil and determined that it was definitely from Mongolia. In record time, the skeleton was on its way back home.
2: This was the first time ever that a dino- ever that a dinosaur has been repatriated anywhere, let alone Mongolia. It was quite a feat.
1: It was the first time, but not the last. Since then, there have been more than 50 dinosaur fossils repatriated to Mongolia. But Geo writer Michael Greshko says black market fossils are still being sold throughout the world.
3: China, formally on the books, has laws preventing the export of fossils. A few years ago, I was in a museum in Europe. They were selling a Chinese dinosaur egg in the gift shop.
1: Wait a minute, you could have um, bought that? You could have just rolled up there and bought it? I could have just rolled up there and bought
3: it. Um, And that, when I, I was shocked when I saw it in there, because the second I saw it, I knew it was hot. Um, There's no way that that egg left the country legally.
1: Wow. So, I mean, if this is happening in like European gift shops, I mean, that's pretty pervasive than you would imagine, right? Yeah, this is a, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge global trade. And that trade gets in the way of science. When fossils are dug up for profit, they're often altered in ways that make it difficult for scientists to study them later.
3: Poachers have
1: come through paleontological
3: sites and just, who come through with pickaxes and basically work their way up a skeleton to find the skull. The skull is really valuable. And then if the skull breaks or whatever, then you just destroy the skull and you pull the teeth and claws because
1: those those sell. this sort of destruction is one of the reasons why paleontologist Belar Menjin keeps working to repatriate fossils to Mongolia.
0: I don't know, I've been doing now so long that um, it's almost become a job for me.
1: When a Mongolian dinosaur fossil is recovered, it ends up in a warehouse, like this one in Queens, where Bilar and a small team carefully package it up for the long flight back to Mongolia.
0: So we have 10 dinosaur specimens.
1: 10 dinosaur specimens that weren't always treated very well before they were recovered.
0: And this specific dinosaur skull had five teeth been broken.
1: Before sending the specimens to the Natural History Museum of Mongolia. She hopes they will inspire the next generation of Mongolian paleontologists.
0: It's not a thing you go to mall to purchase with money. Yeah. It's a heritage. And generation to generation, we're supposed to, you know, share this heritage and knowledge. It's a part of Earth history. It's not just Mongolian. It's actually for the rest of the world.
1: We can't make new fossils. So if we don't protect the ones we have, who will? More after this. Want to know how that Tarbosaurus Batar skeleton got into the United States in the first place? Well, you can find out about the entrepreneur from Florida who went to jail for smuggling by clicking on a link to the story in our show notes. Balar Minchin once took a Winnebago, filled with dinosaur exhibits off-road across the Gobi Desert. Read more about her work with the Institute for the Study of Mongolian Dinosaurs through their website. And who buys a dinosaur skeleton anyway? Nat Geo subscribers can take a look behind the scenes of some private collections. All of this and more can be found in our show notes. Look for them in your podcast app. Overheard at National Geographic is produced by Brian Gutierrez, Jacob Pinter, and Laura Sim. Our editor is Ibi Caputo. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. Hans Dale Su composed our theme music and engineers our episodes. This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. Whitney Johnson is the Director of Visuals and Immersive Experiences. Susan Goldberg is National Geographic's Editorial Director. And I'm your host, Peter Gwynn. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you all soon.